From the studios of EWTN, this is Open Line with today's host, Father Wade Menezes. In North America, call toll-free 1-833-288-EWTN. That's 1-833-288-3986. Outside North America, call 1-205-271-2985 or send an email to openline at EWTN.com. A tremendous Tuesday to each and every one of you. Thanks so much for tuning in to EWTN's Open Line. Father Wade Menezes is in the house. If you'd like to be part of the program, pick up the phone and give us a call at 833-288-EWTN. That's 833-288-3986. If you're outside the United States and Canada, that number is one 205 2712985 and we'll even put you straight to the front of the line at 1 205 271 2985 you can always send us an email that email address is openline at ewtn.com I'm Jack Williams, Michael McCall, spinning the dials behind the glass, producing the program. Your call screener is Matt Gubensky and Jeff Burson handling our social media efforts. So if you're watching us on YouTube or Facebook Live, you can type a question into the chat window, and it may find its way to us by the end of the program. And our host, as he is, every Tuesday, the ever-expanding, I think that the frames on your shelves behind you are multiplying <laughs> at night, because there seems to be more of them every week. In board feet? <laughs> no, actually, it's the same. Maybe it's maybe it's the angle that I have the camera on it. <laughs> so... Um, Father, we have Pentecost bearing down upon us, and you're going to talk a little bit about the gifts that our Lord has given to us in the Holy Spirit. That's right, Jack, and I invite any convert to the Catholic faith who may be listening or watching this hour live on Open Line Tuesday to give us a call and tell us about your conversion into the faith and and what the seven gifts and the twelve fruits of the Holy Spirit mean to you. You know, the name Holy Spirit was given by Christ himself to the third person of the Trinity, in Matthew 28, 19, Jesus literally says, quote, end quote, the Holy Spirit, in regards to the third person of the Trinity, which he will be sending. And then, on four other occasions, he also calls the Holy Spirit the paraclete, in John 14, and in John 15, and in John 16. He also uh, calls the Holy Spirit the advocate and the consoler. And he also refers to the Holy Spirit, Jack, as the Spirit of Truth, the Spirit of Truth, one of my favorite titles of the third person of the Holy Trinity. And St. Paul calls the Holy Spirit the Spirit of the Promise in Galatians 3, the Spirit of Adoption in Romans 8, the Spirit of Christ in Romans 8, the Spirit of the Lord in 1 Corinthians 3.17, and the Spirit of God also in Romans 8. Some beautiful titles of the Holy Spirit. We know the seven gifts are found in the book of Isaiah, chapter 11, verses 1 through 3, wherein the biblical passage refers to the characteristics of a messianic figure, understood by Christians to be Jesus Christ, empowered by the Spirit of the Lord, the Messiah who is to come. And in that passage, in Isaiah 11, 1 through 3, we have the gifts of wisdom, understanding, counsel, fortitude, knowledge, 
piety and fear of the Lord. And then we have the 12 fruits of the Holy Spirit, Jack, and the New Testament found in Galatians 5, verses 22 through 23. Most translations will only list nine. So where do we get these extra three gifts to bring us to the 12 fruits of the Holy Spirit? From St. Jerome's Latin Vulgate translation of the sacred scriptures of the New Testament. Uh, These are listed as charity or love, uh, joy, peace, patience, kindness, also known as uh, uh, benignity, goodness, long-suffering or longanimity, gentleness, or also known as mildness, faithfulness, modesty, self-control, also referred to as continency in some translations of Scripture, and chastity. And so we have these 19 great gifts and fruits of the Holy Spirit. I want to focus this springboard topic, uh, Jack, just on the seven gifts of the Holy Spirit. Tell us, tell our viewers a little bit about each one and what the church means when she expounds upon them in her teachings. Regarding the gift of wisdom, uh, this is about our ability to value spiritual things over worldly ones, right? It enables us to desire the things of God and correctly order the things in our life, both spiritual and temporal. This gift of the Holy Spirit helps us view the world through God's perspective and the light of our Catholic faith. It instills a desire to contemplate the things of God. So think of a person in their business, their employment. They want to carry out proper ethics, for example. They have the wisdom and the know-how and the desire and the drive to do what is good, ethically speaking, in regards to business. Our our ability to value spiritual things over worldly ones. Number two, the gift of understanding helps us grasp the truths of the faith more easily and profoundly. Our human intellect cannot grasp all of God's mysteries, but through the Holy Spirit's gift of understanding, we can be led to the truth even when we do not fully comprehend it at first. Think of a a married couple possibly contracepting, and the husband begins, through faith, to make a weekly holy hour at the perpetual adoration chapel of his local parish. And slowly but surely, he starts to ask himself, why are my wife and I being ruled by this fear to not want to conceive again? What, What is making us so... Uh, ruled by this fear of not wanting another child, huh? and instead to, to keep contracepting. And they address that in their marriage. The husband is able to witness to the wife, and they are able together to work through this, even though the intellect and not first at first does not understand the church's teaching, but through good study and, and the teachings as to the why uh, in regards to uh, uh, the moral contraception being morally illicit, they begin to understand the church's teaching in regards to Uh, marriage and family and the human person made in God's image and likeness. Number three, the gift of knowledge is awareness of God's plan. It is not simply an accumulation of facts, no, but rather an understanding of God's purpose and how we ought to respond to that. The Holy Spirit's gift of knowledge helps bring to light the temptations that we face and to strive for a certain resoluteness to overcome them and to live a life worthy of God's approval. The gift of fortitude or courage sustains our decision to follow the will of God in any given situation, I love this one, and defend our faith even when threatened by bodily injury or death. This gift allows us to be steadfast in our decisions to do well and to endure evil when we do not even necessarily want to. huh? Uh, think of uh, the beautiful life of the martyr, Blessed Miguel Pro, there standing before the firing squad and uh, had given a chance to uh, renounce his Catholic faith and instead, Viva Cristo Rey, Viva! 
you know, uh, to the point of martyrdom, the red martyrdom of blood. Uh, the fourth, uh, fifth gift, excuse me, of the Holy Spirit is the gift of counsel or right judgment. Uh, this acknowledges the difference between right and wrong and bestows proper judgment as the human intellect and will work together to love and choose what is good, true, and beautiful. A person with right judgment avoids sin and leads a life for Christ. The Holy Spirit's gift of counsel inspires us to speak up and encourage others to do the correct thing. It bestows upon us prudence, uh, one of the four cardinal virtues, allowing us to act promptly and rightly in the face of difficult situations. And so that's a very, very important one. The gift of piety or reverence, Jack, is our obedience to God and our willingness to serve him. It is not just obedience through a sense of duty or obligation. No, not at all, but rather obedience out of love. Huh? God is love. Obedience out of love and devotion, and not only to God, but to neighbor as well. Uh, it facilitates a deeper respect and honor for God and his bride, the church. And number seven, the gift of fear of the Lord, also known as the gift of wonder and awe of the Lord, makes us aware of the glory and majesty of God. This gift is also synonymous with the fear of the Lord, in which we dread sin and fear offending God, not out of servile fear, the fear of punishment, but rather out of filial fear, the fear who doesn't want to disappoint precisely because of love. Think of the filial fear of the son or daughter who doesn't want to offend the parent, not because they fear a punishment would come from the parent otherwise, but rather because they precisely know the parent loves them, and so they do not want to disappoint the parent. That's filial fear. That's the fear of the Lord that the church teaches in regards to this gift of the Holy Spirit. Uh, we fear displeasing God and losing our connection with him because of our love for him. The Holy Spirit's gift of wonder and awe increases our desire to draw closer to God and depart from sin. So there you have it, the seven gifts of the Holy Spirit explain the gift of wisdom, the gift of understanding, the gift of knowledge, the gift of courage, the gift of counsel or right judgment, the gift of piety or of reverence, and the gift of fear of the Lord, also known as the gift of wonder and awe of the Lord. And of course, the 12 fruits, uh, charity, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, long-suffering, gentleness, faithfulness, modesty, self-control, and chastity. Are you a convert in any number of years to the Catholic faith? If so, give us a call this hour. Give us a witness about what Pentecost means to you or what the seven gifts and or the 12 fruits of the Holy Spirit uh, means to you. Uh, give us a call and tell us about your conversion story. What led you to the church? Was it a friend? Was it a family member? Was it you happening, uh, happening to pass by a Catholic church each day and you decided one day to go in? Uh, what, what has led you to the Catholic faith? And uh, give us a, a call in regards to what has moved you uh, to a greater love and devotion to this third person, the Holy Spirit, which we celebrate in a special way this Sunday with the Solemnity of Pentecost. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number, 833-288-3986. It's EWTN's Open Line, Tuesday with Father Wade Menezes. This is Open Line on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. If you have a question, call 1-833-288-EWTN. That's 1-833-288-3986. Outside North America, call 1-205-271-2985 or 
send us an email to openline at EWTN.com. You know, a great book at EWTN's religious catalog, Forming Fathers, Seminary Wisdom for Every Priest by Father Carter Griffin. Years of seminary formation ideally forged priests into faithful, generous, healthy spiritual fathers ready to serve the needs of the church, but priests are not immune to the busyness, pressures, and distractions of a life in ministry, and over time, the lessons from their formation can fade into the background. Uh, Father Carter Griffin's book, Forming Father, Seminary Wisdom for Every Priest, seeks to remind priests of the lessons so greatly needed to fulfill their calling faithfully. This series of short, inspiring vignettes can help rekindle a priest's first love and awaken the aspirations that brought him into the seminary in the first place. And it's also applicable to Catholic laymen who are also called to the virtues of Christian manhood, the responsibilities of discipleship, and the dignity of spiritual fatherhood. It's available now at EWTN's Religious Catalog. That's EWTNRC.com. Free standard shipping on online orders of $75 or more. Standard shipping in the continental U.S. only. Use the code FREE at checkout. It would be a great gift for your parish priest, forming Father's Seminary Wisdom for Every Priest by Father Carter Griffin. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. First up today is John, a first-time caller in the great state of Maine, listening on Sirius XM Channel 130. John, thanks so much for holding. You're on with Father Wade. Yes, Father. I'd like to know what it means to join suffering with the cross of Christ. Uh, or what we call redemptive suffering, as St. Teresa uh, this year did. And would you explain how... Sure, sure, yeah. John. I Thanks. sure will, and thank you so much for your call today. Uh, you know, and, and this is a, a beautiful um, subject to focus on and to contemplate on during the, the beauties of the Easter season, where the Paschal mystery is completed and celebrated, our Lord's passion, death, resurrection, and ascension to heaven, and now Pentecost, which the preface tells us that the Pentecost Mass this coming Sunday, uh, that, that the celebration of the coming of the Holy Spirit completes the Paschal mystery, that four-event event of our Lord's passion, death, resurrection, and ascension. So, uh, uh, remember, St. Paul says, our own sufferings make up for that which is lacking in Christ. Not that anything is lacking in Christ's one salvific act from the cross, but because we are the members of his body, rather, living still in a wounded, broken world where the effects of the original sin are still among us. Huh? Uh, and so we have what's called the salvific or redemptive aspect of suffering, the fact that suffering can be saving and redeeming. Huh? Uh, I list six primary ones in a talk I give. Number one, suffering unites the sufferer with Jesus Christ and his cross, which itself was meant to be saving and redeeming for all, right? Uh, number two, suffering helps us to be more sympathetic toward others who are suffering. Uh, number three, embracing suffering, uh, whether it's physical or psychological or temporal, like maybe financial hardship, for example. Uh, embracing suffering helps us to expiate and make reparation for past sins that we've committed, that is, the temporal punishment due for them, which must be expiated either on earth or in purgatory. Huh? Uh, and I pray for the courage and fortitude daily in my morning offering to embrace my suffering now while still living for any and all 
forgiven mortal and venial sin that I've committed throughout my entire life, thereby dying in a state where there is no temporal punishment to atone for in purgatory, thereby entering heaven immediately upon our death. This is God's plan A for us, right? Number four, suffering can be offered up for one's personal needs and intentions and or for the personal needs and intentions of others, living or deceased, for example, like praying for the holy souls in purgatory. Number five, suffering strengthens personal character, thus leading one to grow in such virtues as patience and courage, uh, fortitude and fidelity or faithfulness, and peace, personal peace. Some of the most peaceful people I've ever met, they just have an aura of peace about them, are people who are simultaneously suffering. You know, it's, it's, it's God at work in them. And number six, suffering benefits the caregiver or the caregivers in the plural of another person in that he or she or they can benefit from, strengthen their embrace of, and grow in such virtues toward the one suffering, such as compassion, empathy, patience, and again, fidelity or faithfulness, all by way of being other-centered. Huh? Uh, there's a, a series of quotes from Pope Francis on the benefits of suffering. He says this, suffering is a call to conversion. It reminds us of our frailty and vulnerability. Uh, he also says this, Pope Francis, Jesus teaches us not to be ashamed of touching human misery, of touching his flesh in our brothers and sisters who suffer. Uh, He also says this, to all who are sick, do not lose hope, especially when your suffering is at its worst, for Christ is very near to you. And then he says the word compassion, he puts a hyphen there, C-O-M hyphen P-A-S-S-I-O-N. The word compassion of God, his suffering with us, gives meaning and worth to our struggles and our sufferings. Of course, passio means uh, uh, the, the, the the willing to suffer for another Uh, precisely because you love the other. And calm, in front of that, means together with. So, together with love to suffer, quote-unquote. Together with uh, one another to suffer, or together with one another to suffer, is precisely what compassion means, to have compassion with and for one another. And then sickness and death, Pope Francis also says, are not taboo subjects. They are realities that we must face in Jesus' presence. A very powerful quote, sickness and death are not taboo subjects. They are realities that we must face in Jesus' presence. Um, And then he also says this, Lord, help us to recognize you in the sick, in the poor, and in the suffering. Uh, Very, very beautiful. And a few of my favorite quotes on suffering from some of the saints, St. Augustine says, let us understand that God is a divine physician, and that suffering is a medicine for salvation, not a punishment for damnation. Uh, St. Elizabeth Ann Seton, one of our own great American saints, she says, Can you expect to go to heaven for nothing? Did not our dear Savior track the whole way with his blood and tears ahead of us? St. Padre Pio, the heavenly physician, is treating you as one chosen to follow Jesus more closely up the very hill of Calvary. And St. Teresa of Avila says, We always find that those who walked closest to Christ were those who had to bear the greatest trials. Um, you know, and then I just like to kind of sum it up this way. The everlasting God has in his divine providence foreseen from eternity the cross he now presents to each one of us as a gift from his inmost sacred heart. Uh, this cross he now sends you, uh, he has considered with his all-knowing eyes, understood with his divine mind, tested with his wise justice, and warned with loving arms and weighed in his own hands to see that it is not uh, to be one which is 
one inch too large or one ounce too heavy for you. No, he has blessed your cross with his holy name. He has anointed it with his divine grace. He has perfumed it with his consolation and has taken one last glance at you and your courage to embrace that cross, whatever it is, and then has sent it to you from heaven. It is a special greeting from God to you and alms of the all-merciful love of God to unite yourself more closely to his only begotten Son who came to save us and redeem us and to call us to heaven for all eternity. God doesn't cause suffering, but he permits it in his mysterious wisdom to draw us more closely to him. And in an age of decadence, especially here in the West, I think it's good to be reminded of these beautiful truths. So John, thanks for such a, a great question on what, what is redemptive suffering uh, and why is it important. And it's something that can be contemplated upon even during this beautiful uh, Easter season, you know, because um, it's important to unite ourselves uh, to the cross of Christ. Um, you know, we make up, uh, uh, again, uh, uh, what is lacking uh, in, in Christ, uh, in, in that we are members of his body, that is, still living in, in, a, in a broken, wounded world. And, and his one saving act for us is in history, and it's for all. Uh, I'm quoting Colossians 1.24, now I rejoice in my suffering, St. Paul says, for, you, for your sake, he's talking to another person, that the church members at Colossae, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church. So what Christ did on that one Good Friday, that first Good Friday, that one and only one saving and redeeming act for us from the cross, was a perfect act, and it's all we need for all eternity. But insofar as we are members of his body and we still exist beyond the, the historical time of the cross in a broken, wounded world, still experiencing the effects of the original sin, we can say that we make up for what is lacking in, in Christ's body, which is the church, uh, which he died for. And, and this is where each one of us are called to embrace that. Does that help you out, John? Yes, it does. Thank you, Father. You're very welcome, and God bless you. 833-288-EWTN. That's our toll-free number. It's a free phone call anywhere in North America. 833-288-3986. Beverly is a first-time caller in Valley Forge, Pennsylvania, listening at EWTN's app. Beverly, you're on with Father Wade. Hi, Father Wade and Jack. Thank you so much for taking my call. I actually called in to share that today, the date is my two-year anniversary of receiving the Sacrament of Confirmation oh, from the um, Archbishop in Philadelphia. Um, it was on, on Pentecost Sunday, and so this, this date is so meaningful to me. I um, was, I, I, I'm, a, I'm an older lady, and um, I was blessed to be um, called into the Church, so surrounded by a lot of loving Catholics who brought me into the Church. I listen to you. Uh, I love your show. I'm working out my salvation by my daily duty right now. Oh, great. And um, <laughs> the, um, the uh, fruits of the Holy Spirit, I think, that, that I've come to know best um, would, or feel, love, peace, and joy. I'm working on the rest of them. I'm, I'm a work in progress, and the rest of my life is devoted to that. So thank you very much for taking my call. 
Well, you're very welcome, and thank you for your witness call of being in the church now for two years, and, and it being the anniversary of, of your coming into the church. And God bless you, and uh, uh, thank you for listening to Open Line Tuesday, and also for listening to my new series on EW10 Television, uh, Work Out Your, Working Out Your Salvation, The Theology of Faithfulness to Daily Duty. Thank you so much. God bless you. God bless you, Beverly. Are you familiar with the Malvern Retreat House? I am I have not been to any retreats there but it's very close to where I live yeah yeah I would I would look them up on the internet there's a women of grace retreat that my wife will be hosting in uh, mid-july and uh, being so close it might be a great opportunity for you to uh, continue to work those things out so give it a give it a shot there at the uh, Malvern retreat house just Google that on the internet 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number 833 833- Two eight eight three nine eight six. If you're outside the United States and Canada, we'd still love to hear from you. That number is one two zero five two seven one two nine eight five, and we'll even put you straight to the front of the line. Straight ahead, we'll talk to Teresa in the great state of Washington, Amanda in the Republic of Texas, and we've got plenty of time for your calls as well. Eight three three two eight eight EWTN. That's 833-288-3986. It's Open Line Tuesday with Father Wade. This is Open Line on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. Congratulations going out to a longtime member of the EWTN Radio family, Holy Family Radio, in Louisville, Kentucky, celebrating their 24th year with us. Uh, congratulations to Vince Heiser and his great team at WLCR AM and FM in Louisville from your friends here at EWTN. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number, 833-288-3986. Teresa, as advertised in the great state of Washington, is listening to us on Sirius XM Channel 130. Teresa, thanks for holding. Welcome to the program. Hi. Um, yeah, I had a question about contraceptive and how that, um, like when you're practicing uh, natural family planning, if, you know, there's still and you're trying to avoid, there's still a chance to become pregnant. And I believe that's the same thing for contraceptives. I was wondering, like, what is the, like, why, what is the teaching of um, why natural family planning is better? Or Sure, um, that's a great... Yeah. And, a... sorry, the last part of it is, um, um, is it ever okay, like, if, if a mom is, like, um, if, like, she has really hard uh, pregnancies and uh, be, becoming pregnant might um, be fatal. Is it ever okay to um, become st- like sterilize yourself? And those are my questions. What a great question to follow up with the salvific aspect of suffering, and the saving aspect, the redemptive aspect of suffering, of embracing our cross especially as we get older and things begin to change, huh? Uh, the, the Roman Catholic Church believes that using contraception is intrinsically evil in and of itself, regardless of the consequences, uh, and simultaneously that Catholics are only permitted to use natural means of birth control. But in both categories, the, the contraceptive devices, as well as the natural family planning, uh, 
they they are even the natural family planning can be used for an immoral uh, reasoning. In other words, Humanae Vitae, which I encourage you to read, it's a short document. It's it was issued by now Pope Saint Paul the um, Sixth, uh, right after Vatican II. Um, I encourage you to read it. He he's very prophetic in what he says contraception will do to the world. Um, and I'll get to those things in a moment here. Uh, but you are right in, in reasoning that natural family planning can also be used for selfish purposes, just like actual contraceptive devices can be used for uh, selfish purposes. But with the devices, they are always and everywhere intrinsically evil. At least with NFP, if you have a valid reason to refrain from conceiving, and the church always, always, always wants responsible spacing, okay, of children, and, and so that's, let, let's make that very, very clear. And even if there's a, a serious, that is, grave reason for the couple to stop conceiving, which can include medical and psychological reasons, uh, the Church says they can even stop having children, but it has to be done naturally. For example, some of the contraceptive devices, like the IUD and the pill, can function as abortifacients, which allow the egg to become fertilized by the sperm, but never allowed to latch onto the uterine wall. So what that is, is a, a very, very early on chemically induced abortion. So early on that the mother will not even know that she had it, okay? She might have some heavier bleeding that day, but she doesn't know exactly w what necessarily caused it. Or maybe she's a naturally a heavier bleeder and didn't think anything of it. When in reality, because of the contraceptive use, it was actually flushing out a fertilized egg, which is not a potential human person, no. Rather, that is a human person with potential if it's given the nine months gestation period to, to grow uh, inside the uterus and, and be brought to full gestation. So uh, that's one of the reasons why contraceptive devices are, are wrong. But the Church teaches that using artificial contraception is wrong because it goes against the natural law. Uh, it breaks the natural connection between the procreative and the unitive purposes of the sexual embrace, the conjugal embrace between a married couple. It turns sex into a non-marital act, a non-marital act, because the act is called to be open to children by its very nature. It gives human beings the power to decide when a new life should begin, and the power belongs to God. Although God calls the human couple to be responsible in their spacing and to even not conceive right now at this particular time because of health purposes, if it is deemed a serious enough reason, and, and Humanae Vitae by Pope St. Paul VI spells all that out, what those reasons are, um, it leads to widespread immorality. Uh, think of the contraception that's used by the unmarrieds, huh? It damages the institution of marriage as a result. Uh, it reduces male respect for the female. That's a big one. I've always said, you want to know who contraception has liberated? I will tell you exactly who contraception has liberated. Men. Males. Males are the ones who are most liberated by contraception, huh? Uh, and then also, it, uh, contraception gives human beings the idea that they can have complete uh, power and dominion over their body, and it allows the implementation of eugenic programs, which is huge. It allows the implementation of eugenic programs. So these are some of the areas that Pope Paul VI uh, discussed in Humanae Vitae that really have been prophetic, huh? So now those are the reasons why artificial contraceptives are not permitted. In other words, devices, whether it's the pill, the IUD, or, or other means. Now, NFP, natural family planning, is at least uh, corresponding to the natural rhythms of fertility on the woman's part. Men are always fertile. 
women are not always fertile. So whether it's the Billings method uh, or other methods of NFP, uh, a, a couple can track naturally by their natural bodily and biological processes uh, whether or not they want to partake in the marital act uh, at this juncture, at this time, or not. And if they choose not to, indeed, it needs to be because of a reason that is grave enough. The church has no problem with that. She has no problem with proper spacing. She has no problem with the couple even stopping conception if it's done naturally, number one, and number two, if the reason is serious enough and those are spelled out, such as the psychological and medical uh, reasons, spelled out in Humanae Vitae. Great question. Thank you so much. How do NFP and, and, and natural family planning, that is, and artificial contraceptives differ? Well, again, your very question implies, and rightly so, uh, it tells me you're thinking well here, you're thinking correctly here, both can be used for selfish purposes. NFP can be used for just as much of a selfish purpose to not want to conceive, period, without the grave or serious reason being present, as can contraceptives be used for the same purpose. You're absolutely correct. Hope that helps you out. Thank you so much for a great question. And also, by the way, she asked at the end there, uh, there, there are circumstances where someone could seek medical treatment that would, uh, in and of itself, render them uh, sterile after the procedure, uh, not in all cases, obviously, but there are some cases where the principle of double effect would, would apply, right? R correct. Like a, a full hysterectomy. Is a woman having the full hysterectomy precisely because she does not want to conceive anymore? Or is she having the full and complete hysterectomy, again, obviously at the suggestion of her doctors, uh, because she has uh, a tumor or tumors in the plural, and uh, they've recommended the only way to be free of the tumors and their growth is to have a hysterectomy. In the latter case, she's having the hysterectomy, which will render her infertile. She's having the hysterectomy not because uh, she wants to have the hysterectomy as a means of permanent sterilization. That would be wrong. Rather, she's having the hysterectomy because the tumors and a tolerated side effect of that would be that she will no longer be able to conceive. Um, read the life of, of St. Gianna Beretta Mola, who uh, suffered from cancer while pregnant and chose to bring her daughter uh, to full uh, gestation, to the fullness of birth, and then St. Gianna, the mother, died about a week after the daughter's birth, and 32 years later, the daughter attends her mother's beatification, and a few years after that, attends her mother's canonization and brings up the gifts at the offertory of bread and wine with her father. It's just a phenomenal, phenomenal story. And she chose to bring her daughter to the fullness of gestation when, when do some of her doctors, two of them, I believe, recommended an abortion during the hysterectomy. So uh, that differs a little bit from what you're asking about permanent sterilization, but I just wanted to give you a, a name of a saint who chose life after that. But, but if the means, the primary means, uh, the primary end of the means is to not render yourself purposefully infertile, Rather, the, the ends of, of, the, of your primary means is to rid yourself of the tumors, and that's obviously purposely permissible. Uh, you know, a woman would want to check first to make sure she's not pregnant uh, at the time that the hysterectomy is scheduled, because then she'll have to assess that. Uh, that's why I mentioned St. Gianna Beretta Mola, who chose life. Uh, but this is something that, uh, that, that it's, it's worth knowing and being able to articulate to other men and women 
uh, about uh, these teachings of the faith because they're so, so often misunderstood. My own mother had a complete hysterectomy uh, at age 42, I believe it was, and uh, uh, she had a series of tumors in her uterus, and uh, it was three doctors who recommended that she have the hysterectomy uh, precisely because of the, the numerous tumors that she had, God rest her soul. Uh, and but she lived uh, about 20 years after that, uh, 20, 21 years after that. And so, uh, but she always was a witness of that regard of, in regards to the church's teaching. So great question, and thank you so much. Amanda's next up. She's a first-time caller in Houston, Texas, listening on Guadalupe Radio. Amanda, you're on with Father Wade. Hi there. Very great to talk to you guys today. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. You're welcome, Angela. Th- Amanda, thank you. Awesome. I wanted to call and share a little bit about my very recent conversion story and also speak to um, what the um, Holy Spirit, the gift of the Holy Spirit, means to me. So um, I'm embarrassed to admit this, but um, I, at the very beginning of the pandemic, I was you know, searching for my now husband, and I was so anti-Catholic at the time that I wasn't even going to consider um, dating a Catholic, and um, by God's grace, he slipped through my, you know, searches, and I found him, found out he was Catholic, and his family was very Catholic, and so I figured, okay, this very reasonable, very intelligent, wonderful human being who has so many great qualities is Catholic, so I need to look into this more. And so over, you know, the, the couple of years we were dating and then our engagement and going through getting married in the church, I learned and I discovered the truth for myself separate from him and now have just completed my conversion this past uh, Divine Mercy Sunday. Praise wow, God. beautiful, beautiful. Yeah, absolutely. And um, just to, to give you even more context, my, my saint of choice was St. Paul the Apostle, so that should tell you something mm. <laughs> about how far I've come on that, um, that journey. But I, um, as far as the Holy Spirit in my life and what, you know, what that's done for me, I really love the, the patience, the sense of patience, the sense of peace, and the sense of um, discernment that I am able to, um, to learn, and that brings more of my focus on God's will for me instead of my will for God. And um, the other piece of it is I have a place for suffering in my life. I used to think that mm-hmm. suffering should be avoided at all costs, and with this new perspective, I feel that suffering can not only be, you know, not just tolerated, but actually be used. I had the worst time understanding redemptive suffering. Um, I came from a Protestant background. I was just like, what is this? <laughs> and, um, and now I understand that it can actually be used um, to highlight God's glory and highlight Jesus's um, crucifixion and to fully live that out. As my patron saint says, and I believe it's Corinthians one twenty four. Um, so either way, I just wanted to share that um, for anyone contemplating uh, converting, anyone you know wondering what the Holy Spirit can do after conversion in your life. I just wanted to share that with you guys, and thank you all for what you do. I've learned so much. 
Well, so thank, you so, thank you so much, uh, Amanda, and we appreciate your call very, very much and your regular uh, listenership to the show. We greatly appreciate that, and what a wonderful story. And uh, you give great hope to other uh, young people out there, both men and women, who may be uh, reverts to the faith, maybe are baptized Catholics but currently don't practice the faith, but maybe are listening today, uh, that there is uh, someone out there for you. And, and part of that journey of finding that someone is a journey of faith as well. And uh, it sounds like uh, your now husband, you said, it sounds like he was a pretty strong, a pretty strong Catholic when he first met you. Is that correct? Absolutely. Well, especially his family um, having, you know, that influence in his life. He was in Catholic high school, you know, Catholic school sure. growing up. Um, but yeah, the, the best thing about him was that he didn't push anything on me. It was never his family or him. They weren't pushing anything on me. They let me kind of find my own way, and I just chose to learn as much as I could to understand, and it just started making more and more sense. I mean, I think when you find truth, it just kind of makes sense, and as long as you allow God to touch your heart, um, I think it can really open up your mind in an unexpected way. It was definitely not what I expected. (laughs) I'll tell you that. Well, beautiful, beautiful, wonderful, wonderful. Thank you so much for a great call. We really appreciate it, and for your witness about your own conversion back to the faith. Thank you. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number, 833-288-3986. You know we do this open line program every day, Monday through Friday. Tomorrow, EWTN's Open Line Wednesday features Father Mitch Paqua, so if you've got questions about church teaching, ancient languages, scripture, and the like, give us a call tomorrow on Open Line Wednesday right here on EWTN Radio. Radio. Next up is Golda of another first-time caller in Shreveport, Louisiana, listening on Christ Our King Radio. Golda, thanks for holding. You're on with Father Wade. Thank you so much. Hello, Father Wade. Hello. Thank you for your call today, Golda. Yes, so I'm calling in a a friend of mine and uh, a few other women who are divorced. Uh, One is a widow, the other two are not. One is about to recently uh, be remarried. So some discussions that we've been doing and praying about, um, which we see, um, she grew up Baptist and now is non-denominational for the past 12 years. And uh, so just very concerned about, you know, if I don't want to disappoint God, I don't want to not um, be blessed in, in my marriage. She had a very rough marriage and some abuse, some drugs, a few physical um, a lot of infidelity. Uh, so she's happy now. She's, um, her children are happy. So I just wanted to take away something from today because I was just riding, taking my grandbaby home and just uh, stumbled upon the radio station. I'm like, Lord, I've been asking you. So let me, I just wanted to see um, exactly what what the church says. Well, I would need to know uh, her her situation with her prior marriage. First of all, I, I'm not a canon lawyer in general, and I'm surely not a canon lawyer of marriage in particular, so I want to make that clear. That said, I do know a, f- a few of the basics about uh, marriage and canon law, so you know every case is going to be different in, in some regard. I would need to know—you're asking if your friend who's now married a second time, if her marriage is valid— in our Lord Jesus Christ's eyes and in his bride, the church's eyes, I presume is what you're asking, is her second marriage valid before Almighty God? And I can only answer that by knowing the, the, 
you know, her, her situation was, w w did, she did she marry a Catholic the first time in the Catholic Church, and is she herself a Catholic? She did not marry a Catholic, and she is not a Catholic. She's non-denominational. Okay, and, and always has been a non-Catholic, is that correct? Yes. Okay, so the Church teaches that two Protestants who are baptized who marry in a Protestant church, uh, that is a valid marriage. So even there, I would need to know if her first husband that she's now divorced from civilly, what, you know, I would need to know, is, is he a baptized Christian of some Christian faith? Because if he was, and she's a non-denominational Christian, validly baptized with a Trinitarian formula, then that means their first marriage is valid in the eyes of God. And then uh, you know, according to her faith's dictates, uh, which I don't know what that what that is for non-denominationals, I can only speak for the Catholic Church in this regard, um, to contract a second marriage, uh, you know, it depends on, on, on the state of, of being of the second man who she's now married to, the second husband. I mean, is he, a, is he a Christian? Does he have a former wife, the one that she's married to now, her second husband? Does, she, does he himself have a former wife? So, and whether or not that former wife is baptized. So you can see how everything kind of gets murky here, and you have to know the particulars. This is why the church, the Catholic church I can speak on behalf of, esteems the seven sacraments, of which matrimony is one of them. The seven sacraments are not lollipops. They are not handed out freely at will. The seven sacraments are serious business. There are three sacraments of initiation, baptism, confirmation, and Holy Eucharist. There are two sacraments of healing, confession, and the anointing of the sick. And then there are two sacraments of union, which are at the service of communion to the populaces of the world, and that is matrimony and holy orders. Matrimony for physical life and holy orders or the priesthood for the spiritual life, because it's the priesthood that gives us the, the sacraments. Um, so... From a Catholic perspective, the sacraments are are a literal meeting with the Lord Jesus, and of course with the Eucharist, a, a literal meeting with the Lord Jesus par excellence, because where the other six sacraments effect the grace they signify, the Eucharist not only effects the grace it signifies, the Eucharist is what it signifies. It is the body, blood, soul, and divinity of our Lord Jesus Christ, which is why we want people in valid marriages in the Catholic Church so that they can receive the true body, blood, and soul, and divinity of our Lord Jesus Christ in the Eucharist and uh, feed their marriage with the graces afforded them by that particular sacrament of the Eucharist. Huh? So uh, without knowing the particulars, Golda, it's, it's difficult for me to, to be able to answer that question, but most Protestant denominations... Uh, they give their mark of approval or their teaching of approval to divorce, and the Catholic Church does not. So um, as a Catholic looking at that situation, um, I would want to find out who's baptized, who's not, was, it, was the marriage in a, Catholic, in, a, in, a, in a Christian church or not, because again, the Catholic Church holds uh, the, the, the marriage of two baptized Christians as, as valid. Um, and so, you know, there's a lot at play here. But uh, I hope that helps you out, uh, but, but uh, that's really all I can say on it. God bless you, Golda. Thanks so much for the phone call today. Uh, we head next to Dallas, Texas. Carl is in the Republic listening on Guadalupe Radio. Carl, you're on with Father Wade. Um, Father, I really love Christmas, um, but I know that Easter is a more important feast um, for obvious reasons. And I was wondering... Um, what other 
church celebrations would rank ahead of Christmas in terms of their solemnity and importance? Well, we have anything... First of all, we have the two big octaves. The, the first big octave is, is the Easter octave, right? From Easter Sunday itself to the second Sunday of Easter, which is now known as Divine Mercy Sunday. That's, that's one of the two great octaves in the Church's uh, universal liturgical 12-month calendar. The second big octave is the Christmas octave, you are correct, in that it runs from December 25th, which is a fixed day for Christmas, where Easter is not fixed, but December 25th is for Christmas, all the way through January 1st, the secular New Year's Day, which is also um, the great solemnity of Mary, Mother of God. So Christmas Day to the great solemnity of Mary, Mother of God, that's the second big octave. Uh, You are right in that uh, most cultures seem to make a bigger celebration of Christmas, rejoicing in the birth of Jesus, even Christian cultures, but Easter is actually more significant from the Catholic perspective because it celebrates the resurrection of Christ, which led to the birth of the Christian faith. Uh, It is Easter that gives Christmas, then, its true meaning, the birth of its founder, and therefore it calls for a bigger celebration, Easter does. But to answer your specific questions, which which feasts would then rank higher than uh, Christmas itself after Easter, I believe it would only be the other solemnity of Pentecost, which we celebrate this coming Sunday, because remember, Ascension, which comes 10 days before Pentecost, is not technically a solemnity, it's delegated at the level of feast, but Pentecost is a solemnity like Christmas and Easter are. And because uh, Pentecost falls during the Easter season, it would be the only uh, uh, big one that we would celebrate that we could consider higher than Christmas, but the church doesn't, you're not going to find that literally written anywhere. It's just, it's kind of an understood uh, fact because Pentecost falls during the 50 day Easter season. In fact, it closes the 50-day Easter season, on the 50th day. It is a solemnity, like Easter itself is, but like Christmas is too, but because it falls during the Easter season per se and even closes it, we could say, make a good argument that it's higher than Christmas. And again, Easter itself, which celebrates the resurrection of Christ, is actually which led to the birth of the Christian faith, uh, especially the Catholic Christian faith, which we know by her four marks, one holy Catholic and apostolic, and it is thus Easter, we say, that gives Christmas its true meaning, and therefore uh, Easter calls for a bigger celebration. But other than Pentecost, that you can make an argument for above Christmas because of when it falls, remember, Pentecost is still a, is still a solemnity, just like Christmas is or, or Easter is. Uh, so, but, it, but as far as looking at the Church's liturgical calendar in a linear format, a linear format all the way across one line, um, we would say that that it's coupled, if you will, coupled with with Easter Sunday because it it's still falling within the Easter season, and indeed it closes the Easter season. And Carl, God bless you for loving Christmas. I love Christmas too. And again, it is uh, it, Christmas with its octave, January first, the great solemnity of Mary, Mother of God, uh, is one of the two big octaves along with the Easter octave. Uh, from Easter Sunday itself through Divine Mercy Sunday. Great question, Carl. Thank you so much for listening and calling in today to Open Line Tuesday. We appreciate it. Kathleen in Boise, Idaho, we are flat out of time. If you can call back tomorrow, Father Mitch would be happy to answer that question, and we'll put you straight to the front of the line. Father, would you leave us with a blessing? I certainly will, Jack. May the blessing of Almighty God, the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit descend upon all of our Open Line Tuesday listeners and remain with each and every one of you this day and always, St. Joseph, Terror of Death. 
demons. Pray for us. On behalf of our host, Father Wade Menezes, producer Michael McCall, call screener Matt Gubensky, and our social media maven, Mr. Jeff Burson. I'm Jack Williams. Thanks so much for tuning in. Back at it tomorrow with Father Mitch. Until then, God bless. God bless.